Welcome to the weekend message from Mariner's Church in Huntington Beach, California. Whether you are listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. To, to meet up over in Huntington Beach because uh, our broker had said, hey, there's a place that you guys have to take a look at. And it wasn't even on our radar. It hasn't been on our radar for a couple years just because of, a, of a, a complication. But that complication has been removed. And so on Friday, we had a chance to go check out Golden West College, and they have a performing arts theater there and a lot of classroom space for our kids. But what did you think about that? Yeah, well, and here's the deal. You're hearing about this right now. We were debating on whether to tell you because there's still some work that has to be done to land this thing. But Kenton announced it yesterday to the whole church. So we thought, (laughs) you should hear it from us and not hear it from Kenton. He was so excited about the opportunity. Afterwards, I said, Kenton, we've not landed it. And he said, I'm a man of great faith. So anyway, we're... um, but let me just tell you this. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we asked you guys to fast and pray for the facility because it's been such a huge challenge for us, and we've been looking for such a long time, uh, really hundreds and hundreds of hours looking around Huntington Beach. And uh, we had not looked here uh, because earlier we had sort of tried and had been shut down. And this thing opened up, and it is by far the best thing that we've seen. And furthermore, they seem to be very excited about us coming in. So uh, one other thing that I think is so cool is the swap meet. I don't know if you know, the swap meet meets there on the weekend, which means there's literally thousands of people walking around the campus on a Sunday morning. So we've got people that we can invite right there from our community. So it's a very cool setup, but here's what we need. We need you to keep praying because their board, the board of directors of Golden West College, actually has to vote on it. And we want not only for them to vote yes, but for them to vote yes soon so that we can start in January. So if you would continue to pray about that, um, we will give you updates as they come in. But this is a real God thing. I think this is a real God thing. Yeah, because updates are coming fast. And your prayers are cracking the, those barriers that we're, we're facing. So keep up the good work. Yeah, yeah. Right awesome. On. Thank you. All right, you guys, how are you all today? Hey, let me just begin by asking this. Has God done anything this week uh, that you would say is sort of a God thing, sort of like what we just shared, uh, that you'd want to share with us? Just something that you'd say, it can't be super long, but something where, hey, God showed up, here's how he showed up. Any stories out there? You guys showed at uh, Thanksgiving, you're really good at it. I don't, (laughs) go ahead. Here, turn around and just face so that we can all see. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Nico. Anything else? Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. 
Anyone else that's just like, I got to say something before this opportunity passes away? Oh, you just want to hear me speak, don't you? Okay, I will. I'm so excited. We are uh, finishing a series today called Consumed. And uh, in the series, we have basically talked about the fact that we live in the most, con- the, the most consumer culture that's ever been in history of this world. There is more consumerism in the, of what surrounds us than any other people have ever de- dealt with. Uh, Just to give you an idea, we have 5% of the world's population in the United States, but we consume 40% of the world's goods. And in the next, uh, in the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we will consume 70% of what we consume during the whole year. So not only do we live in a consumer culture, but this is the time when we consume. And so we thought this would be a great time for us to talk about consumerism and what it means to be consumed What are the warnings God gives to us about this? And what are the opportunities? Because there are opportunities. And um, we're going to start next week, just so you know, so you can be prepared. We're going to start going through the Gospel of Matthew. We're actually going to go through the Gospel of Matthew until Easter. And uh, so we'll start at the beginning. And as most of you know, the Gospel of Matthew starts with a Christmas story. So if you want to get ahead, you can read the first couple of chapters of Matthew, and you'll be well aware of what we're going to speak over the next couple of weeks. Um, But let me start off by uh, just bringing to your attention a Newsweek article that I saw uh, this last week. It just came out, and um, on the front cover it said, Money to Burn, and the subtitle was, "Why Why Americans Can't Stop Spending. And really, the basic premise of this article is even though the economy is still bad and a lot of people are out of work and, you know, many things are very soft in our economy, Americans now are spending more than they spent before the crisis hit. And what they're saying is people have frugality fatigue. They have for what, in their mind, in our minds, they consider such a long time not spent money that they're just sort of like exploding in spending right now. And this was one of the stories that the article talked about. A 30-year-old cocktail waitress from Las, Vega, from Las Vegas, she works in a casino. In 2009, she was evicted from her apartment because she couldn't pay the rent, had to move in with her mother. Uh, but she decided, finally, that she had to go to the mall and spend money. And here's what she said. She said, I kept waiting for things to get better, but they just didn't. So I decided, screw it. I need some new clothes. I'm going to get them. My mama's not happy, but I don't care. And then this is the great phrase, you stop spending and you stop living. And, you know, we can be quick maybe to point a finger at somebody like that and say, oh, my gosh, how immature is that? How terrible, what a consumer. But, you know, the reality is we live in a culture where it is habitual for us to spend money. And what they're saying now is even though people know in their minds how unwise it is for them to go into debt and that money can't buy happiness and all that, Because of the habits that we have, because of the way our culture works, we are propelled toward being consumers, toward consumerism. And as I said, not only does the Bible have some very strong warnings about that mindset, uh, the good news, it, it also has some incredible opportunities where the Bible says you have opportunity because you live in the culture that you live in. Let me begin by uh, giving you a short history lesson about something that happened uh, right after the Great Depression in America. And in the farmland of America, especially in the panhandles of Texas and Oklahoma, 
there was a condition that occurred uh, that became sort of infamous that basically wiped out farming in that area. Do any of you know what that was called? The Dust Bowl. And what had happened in the Dust Bowl is because, uh, because of basically some over-farming of uh, some of the land there and because of just the conditions of the weather, uh, a drought that came in is that the topsoil basically turned to dust and blew away. In fact, it blew away as far as the Atlantic Ocean. It just blew away. It just disappeared. And so for about four or five years in that part of the country, there was severe famine uh, from not being able to produce uh, any crops. And what was happening is farmers would put their seed down, and then along would come the wind, and it would just blow their seed away. And I heard the story because Kenton was talking, his, wife was, uh, his wife's family is from that area, and she had a descendant, I think a you know, great-great-uncle or something like that, who was living in Texas, in the Texas Panhandle, when this happened. And uh, one day, he was looking at his barn. It was time for them to seed again, and he was looking at all the seed in his barn. And he realized in the last three or four years, they'd produced almost no crop because all the seed had blown away. And he was so discouraged that he looked at it and he just thought to himself, I'm not going to plant this year. I'm just, I just can't do it. I can't lose this seed again. And he was very discouraged and, you know, basically with his head hung and shoulders hunched, he walked back into the house and his wife saw him and said, what's wrong? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. And then he said, I'm really fighting on whether we should plant this year. And she looked at him and she said, What? And all of a sudden, it clicked into his mind what a horrible mistake he was sort of on the precipice of making. Because he said, that's what farmers do. Farmers plant. And if I, you know, if I plant, there may be a chance that we don't get a yield. But if I don't plant, I'm certain of something. What's that? There will be no yield. There's no chance if we don't plant. So as bad as it is, as much of a risk as it is, I've got to plant. And he always said, looking back on his life, he only almost made the biggest mistake of his life. When things were hard, he thought about not planning. And when you hear that story, there's a verse that comes to mind, and we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there because we're going to sort of spend some time there. But let me just read this verse. In fact, why don't we read it together? Because it's sort of the... Uh, the farmer's axiom, we might say. Okay, so let's read this together. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And it's just the principle of farming. It is the only way that you can make a profit is to sow, is to invest, is to plant. That's the only way that it can happen. And by and large, the more you sow, the more you'll get back in return. And uh, let me just ask any of you that plant anything, is it a one-to-one -one return? If you plant a seed, do you get basically the equivalent of a seed back? No. You get exponentially more, right? Depending on the crop, you get exponentially more. So the idea here is when you invest, you will get exponentially more back. And that's kind of the principle, the principle of sowing and reaping. And it's actually built on a principle, and we're going to take you back into the Old Testament for a second. It's built on a principle that really is kind of a hinge principle that runs throughout the whole Bible. 
And it starts in uh, Genesis chapter 12. And if you're familiar with that part of the Bible, it is where God, for the very first time, starts to assemble his people. And he does it through a guy. Who's the guy that started God's people? Abraham. And at this point in the story, he's called Abram. His name was later changed to Abraham. God comes to Abram. And he basically says, I want to start a nation through you. And what's going to be unique about this group of people is they're going to be my people. I want you to start my people. And we know that those are the Jews, uh, the Israelites. And so he comes to Abraham and he gives a principle again that is a general principle that we want to look at. And in fact, Mariners has sort of a, uh, a banner statement based on this principle. But let's read it. It's in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Uh, read it with me. It says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, there's a key word that's repeated a lot, and that is the word... Blessed, right? Any of you that said I, that is not helpful to me that you would say I or and. No, but bless is sort of the key word that is given here. And the focus here is that God says that there is a way, kind of a flow of how things work. And the way that God says it here is he says, I am going to bless you because you are going to be my people. And I'm going to continue to bless you. And I'm going to bless you. And if anybody treats you badly, I'm going to curse them. And I'm going to bless those that are helpful to you, you know, I sort of have that thing. But then it ends by saying, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just the fact that I'm going to bless you because what are you supposed to do? You are supposed to bless others. So in other words, there's kind of a flow that goes on. And I'm going to try something that I don't know if works in this room. Uh, <clears throat> we'll find out. And if it doesn't, it'll be the last time we do it. I wanted to just kind of use a whiteboard here. And I understand, you know, this is a little bit, but it's not that complicated anyway. You're not really missing that much. I'm not a great artist. But uh, basically what happens here is God says that I'm going to bless you and you are to bless others. And so you have blessing that comes this way. I'll stand back in a second. And blessing that comes this way. And that there's an overall flow that goes like this. Okay, so you guys sort of catch that. Can you see that from where you're at? This is a real bad idea. Okay. So anyway, you have sort of this idea that God is the initiator of all blessing, and God does bless. And in this passage, it says, and he blesses the people that are the people of God. So in this case, it would be you. He blesses you. But the idea is that it doesn't stop there, that you're not the end user, that you can never sort of think, well, great, I get all mine from God that the way this flow works is the flow has to continue on to others. Now, let me just ask you a couple questions out of the passage. What was the specific blessing that God gave Abraham? There was two things specifically they said, I'm going to bless you in these two ways. What was one of the ways he was going to bless them? Yes, uh, that you're going to have a whole bunch of descendants, so many descendants, that it's going to create a nation. And we know that sort of the hardship for Abraham at that point was what? He had no descendants. He had no sons. He didn't have anyone that could start it. So God was going to have to intervene. And then outside of having a nation come out of Abraham, there was another blessing that God was going to give, and that was the, the land, that God was going to give him land. And we know that he was given land, 
And Israel still has that land. They share it with some other people now, but that was a blessing that God gave, and they still have their land. And so those were the blessings that came this way. But let me just ask you this question, because this is kind of an important thing. So Abraham is blessed with descendants and with land, but what was Abraham supposed to, or the people under Abraham, supposed to bless others with? Ah, sort of a sumper. Here's what it was. You bless them by bringing them to me. God said, you connect them to me. That's the blessing you give to the people. You're going to be my representatives here on earth. So as I give you these things to establish you as a nation and you need people and land to be a nation, I want you to bring people to me. And this is very important because the ultimate blessing we can give anyone else is to connect them to God. It is not the only blessing. Of course, you can bless people monetarily. You can bless them by helping them. But ultimately, and it's true throughout the Bible, the ultimate blessing that God's people always have to give to people who aren't God's people is a connection with God. And that's what Abraham was given to do. You connect people to me. So we get this basic principle. The principle is God blesses me and I bless others. God blesses me and I bless others. God blesses me and I bless others. That's the flow. That's the way that is meant to work. And what's so interesting is God takes as much pleasure, it seems like, in blessing us as he does in watching us bless someone else. Um, For years in South Carolina where we lived, uh, I was part of a charity, and one of the things that this charity did, it was super cool, is that they would bring in orphans from the orphanage in town, and they would give each of the orphans $120 at a Walmart And then uh, the orphans would match up with somebody from the charity. There was about 100 or so orphans that would do this. And we would go shopping with the orphans, and they were going to buy Christmas presents, Uh, basically their own Christmas, because there was no other way that they were getting Christmas. And it was the coolest thing. We did this several years. And you would get kids all the way from, uh, you know, like four and five years old, all the way up to college-age students that were still or maybe high school-age students that were still in the orphanage, and we would walk around. Every once in a while, there would be a problem with doing this. Now, you might think, well, the problem was they probably spent more than they had, or they became upset because they couldn't get something that they really wanted. We never, ever had a problem with that. Here was the problem. We would have kids come in, and they wouldn't buy anything for themselves. They would only buy for their family. Oftentimes, they would buy stuff for family members they weren't even living with, parents who had given them to the orphanage. And yet their desire to buy a gift for their family was so high that they would get done with the end of their shopping, and we'd say, what did you get for yourself for Christmas? And they would say, nothing. And we'd say, you can't do that. And we'd take them back, and we'd say, you have to get something for yourself as well. But there was something, and you know, you hear the story, there's something that just wells up in you and you just go, that is awesome. I mean, those kids get something that a lot of us don't get. And I think that when God watches us give, especially when it hurts us, especially when it's hard to give, especially when it's not the easiest thing to be generous, God looks at that and he goes, oh my gosh, am I proud of my kids when they do that? So it's an amazing principle, and the principle, again, sort of runs throughout Scripture. And 
We call it here at Mariner's Church, blessed to be a blessing. That's what blessed to be a blessing means, is we've been blessed, so we need to be a blessing. Now, there's a problem, and we've talked about the problem, and here's what it is. The problem is we live in this incredible consumer culture, and so it's very difficult at times for us, even though God has blessed us, even though there's blessings coming toward us, because we're consumers by nature, because our culture screams at us that we need to have things and to keep things and to buy things and to have things for ourselves, that very often what happens is we get stuck and the blessing doesn't go from us. We receive God's blessing, but now the blessing doesn't come out of us. There's sort of this, uh, this block in the flow of things. And just to under, uh, sort of underscore this, let me just give you another statistic. Some of you like them, statistics, some of you don't. None of you will like this one because it doesn't make us look very good. But uh, the average churchgoer donates about 2.5% of their wealth. Okay, so 2.5%. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how you feel about that. To me, that seems a little low, and especially low when you consider we only outdistance non-churchgoers by 0.7%. In other words, they give 1.8%, we give 2.5%. So all of our teaching about generosity and giving and our perspective on things doesn't have a huge impact. Um, the other thing is American Christians, even though there's only 5% of the whole Christian population is made up by American Christians, uh, we control 50% of global Christian wealth. In other words, by far, we are the wealthiest Christians in the world. And one thing that's kind of amazing, if uh, we increased our giving by just 1%, if American Christians decided across the board, churchgoers, that we were going to uh, increase by 1%, we could literally end the extreme poverty of 1 billion people in the world. I mean, that's how much influence and power and financial blessing God's given us. Um, and so here's the truth, and I'm not pointing any fingers because they can come right back at me, is that we struggle with this. We struggle with this flow issue by and large. Uh, we have no problem receiving blessings from God, but very often we have a hard time pushing the blessings forward and saying, I'm going to do without so that somebody else has. Jesus tells a parable about this, and uh, we're only going to be here in a second. You don't even need to turn over to it, but in Matthew 13, he tells kind of a famous parable, and I don't want to go through the whole parable, but the parable is about a farmer who goes out and sows seeds. And it says that he sows seeds on four kinds of ground. Uh, the first is it hits the path, and it's too hard, so it doesn't go in. The second is there's rocky ground, and it sort of springs up quickly and then dies off. The third is it goes into weed-infested or thorn-infested ground, and as it comes up, the weeds kind of choke it out. And then the fourth is it goes into good ground. Well, I want to talk about the weed-infested or the thorn-infested ground because there's a very interesting point Jesus makes about the seed that falls on this ground. And let me just say this too. A lot of times when you hear this story about the seed, you always think the seed being the word of God, and so you think it's like a good message. You know, when a good message falls on these kinds of ears or a good Christian book or, you know, some kind of messenger about who God is, that's not really what Jesus had in mind. He says the seed is the kingdom of God. The seed is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, basically, is God's invitation to people to live in his world, to live in his presence, to follow him, to live with the blessings that he gives. So Jesus is telling a parable about a person that goes out communicating God's kingdom and inviting people to come. And there's these responses to it. 
And so the response where it falls on this sort of thorny or weed-infested ground goes like this, Matthew 13, 22. It says these words. Let's read this together. It keeps you guys engaged. It says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So now here's the specific problem, and this is how it relates to us, because this is kind of talking about people that deal with consumerism. Because what it says is seed falls on certain ground, and if people are sort of consumed with the deceitfulness of wealth, it says, and here's when the Bible talks about the deceitfulness of wealth, the deceit of wealth is that wealth makes this incredible promise to you. It says, I can take care of all your needs. If you will give your heart to me and follow me with wholehearted devotion, the God of mammon, if you will do that, I will take care of you. But it's deceptive because what do we know about wealth? It can never deliver. It can never deliver. It's like we said this a couple weeks ago. It's like drinking Hawaiian punch on a hot day. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. So wealth is deceitful. Wealth does not lead to what it promises, which is satisfaction and peace and joy. In fact, it actually leads to the exact opposite, which is worry. The more you sell your heart for wealth, the more you think that it's all in materialism or monetary things, the more worried you will get. And in fact, this word for worried here in the Matthew parable actually means scattered. And here's the concept, and tell me if you can't relate to this. When you worry about something, your mind is scattered. So you're sitting here right now, but in truth, your mind is scattered because you're worried about what you're going to buy for Christmas after you get done here. Or how many of you have ever woken up in the middle of the night and you're thinking, I just need to go to sleep. I just need to focus on going to sleep. And your mind is going a million miles an hour and you're thinking about the debt you can't pay off. Or you're thinking about the job that I might not get. And your mind becomes scattered. And here's the point that Jesus makes. This is no way to live because it chokes you from God's kingdom, which is the greatest blessing that God gives. And so here's the point that he makes. Here's what Jesus is saying. The flow comes from God to you. If you stop it there and say, I'm the end user, it's for me. What he says is you become stagnant. Consumerism leads basically to stagnation. Uh, There was a body of water in Israel at the time, the Dead Sea. You know why they call it the Dead Sea? Because nothing flows out of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is hundreds of feet below sea level. And so things drain into it. Nothing drains out of it. And you know what happens? Everything in the water is dead. Because for it to have life, something has to flow out of it. And Jesus says that's exactly what happens here. When you become the end user, when you're not generous, when it stops with you, you become dead. You become of no use to anyone else. It's all about you. And Jesus is making this point. That is no way to live. So what he does is Jesus, uh, Jesus basically throughout his ministry talks about this flow, this flow of from God to you to others, God to you to others. And then Paul captures it in 2 Corinthians 9, and that's where we want to land and just sort of finish up here, is in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 
Paul gives this amazing teaching sort of out of this sowing and reaping concept, this flow of you invest and then you get back. You give away and then it comes back to you. And so in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, we've already read it. It says, remember this, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Uh, the background for this is Paul is going, to, uh, going around the ancient world and the church in Jerusalem is suffering because there's heavy persecution and people are in great need. And so he's going around saying, we need to give money to the saints in Jerusalem to help the church. Corinth was going back and forth. They were actually a fairly affluent city. There was other cities that were much poorer that were giving money. Corinth was struggling with it. And so Paul comes in and he writes in a fairly straightforward manner in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He says, listen, folks, this is huge. And this isn't just huge to help the saints in Jerusalem. This is huge for your heart. You need to understand this flow principle. And so he's pretty straightforward with it. And basically what he's going to say is he's going to say, just as planting is the key to a harvest, generosity is the key to God's blessing. That's a very important point. Generosity is the key to God's blessing. Because here is what is true from what the Bible says. If God blesses you and it stops with you, God tends to pull back the amount of blessing he's going to continue to give. All right? And, you know, you might say, well, that's sort of petty of God to do that. It might be and it might not. You know, he's God. He gets to make the call. There are so many places in the Bible where this is communicated. If it's not going to go out of you, God is going to hold back and give you less. If it is going to flow out of you, there are plenty of spaces, and we're going to look at two here in a second, where he says, oh man, now you've seen nothing. If you think God was blessing you before, now that you're being generous, you should see what's going to come your way at this point. If there's a clear flow and he can trust you with what's coming your way, there's a lot more that he has to give you. So he says these. Here's the first point, is that when we bless others, uh, when we are generous, the generosity actually blesses us. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 9.8, he says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, you might just want to circle the word all, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. It is a statement where God is saying, I don't know how I could make this clear, but if generosity is coming out of you, you can expect a lot to flow in your direction. It isn't that God will just barely take care of your needs. The point here is he says, I will overly compensate there will be more than you need, even. That's kind of the point. And if you're thinking, well, okay, one verse, I mean, well, Jesus, and you might even say, well, that's Paul, and it's not Jesus. Well, let me just say what Jesus said about this. Uh, Jesus makes this amazing statement in Luke 6.38, okay? Let's read this one together. It says, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And he's using another illustration that in that day would have been super common, which is you go to the marketplace to get grain. And when you go to get grain, the person who's selling it would pour it into a basket that you would have. 
Now, he would be very careful if he was selling you grain to pour it in and to stop when it filled up and maybe to smooth it over just to show you that you had a full basket of grain. Here's the thing he would never do. He would never shake it. He would never pat it down. Why wouldn't he do that? Because it would settle and he'd have to put more in it. Because back in that day, they didn't sell by weight, they sold by volume. And you guys know the whole settling thing, right? You buy a box of cereal, and you open it up, and you think, this should be a full box. And you look, and it's just been opened, and how much is there? Like half. And you're like, what is this? And then you look at the bottom, and it says, sold by weight, some of the contents may have settled. So you know how that game works. So in the marketplace, people that were selling grain would be very careful not to shake, not to push down, not to do anything. And here's what Jesus does. It catches people's attention because this would have never happened in the marketplace. When you go to God and you've given already, here's the way that he's going to approach it. He's going to fill up your basket and then he's going to shake it and it's going to settle and he's going to fill it up again. And then he's going to pat it down and push it down and then he's going to fill it up again. And then he's going to keep filling. It's going to start rolling, running over so that when you pick it up, there's like this trail of grain walking over you. And you're going to be about ready to leave. And he's going to go, wait, wait, wait. And he's going to say, come here. And uh, back in that day, everybody wore kind of robe kinds of things, even the guys. And so he'd say, listen, I want you to pick up your robe and pick it up and tuck it into your belt. And it's going to form this little kangaroo pouch. And I'm going to continue pouring it in. And then I'm going to shake it again. And then I'm going to pat it down. Then I'm going to pour it in again. And you're going to go walking away from me. And you're going to have this full, full basket. And you're going to have this full lap full of grain. Because what Jesus is trying to say is, God is not hesitant to bless you when you give. He is not hesitant to do it. He is going to pour it on. Now, some of you are sitting there and saying, Kevin is teaching the prosperity gospel here. And the prosperity gospel is sort of along these lines, is you can't outgive God. Uh, giving is your best investment plan. Uh, sort of this whole idea is this is the way to invest. But here's what protects you from prosperity gospel that is not biblical and is not right, is if your attitude ever is greed, then Jesus and Paul would say, well, you've missed the point. If this teaching makes you more greedy, you've missed the point. This is not to be greedy. And in fact, they would say, this is so you can be more generous. If God pours all of this stuff into you, now you even have more opportunity to bless other people. And that's what Paul says here. Now you can even bless people more. So there's this incredible idea that when you bless you will be blessed. When you're generous, you'll be blessed. We also read that generosity blesses others. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 12, if you just look through there, and I want to make sure we end on time, so just look through there. Basically, it talks about how people will be blessed by your generosity, which you know that. When you're generous to people, they're blessed. Uh, Julie works in the Resource Center right over here, and their amazing stories are coming out of the Resource Center like several a week. So here was this amazing story from this week. A woman comes in, uh, her husband has divorced her and left her, and he took literally everything. He left her with one thing, which was her cell phone, and that's because it has a GPS in it, and he can track her with it. Yeah, sketchy. Yeah, creeper. Okay, so that's sort of the setup here. So 
She comes into the resource center. Believe it or not, she comes into the resource center. She's from Bosnia. She comes in uh, not to get something, but she feels like she should work in the resource center to help people out. So she comes in, but when she's in there, Julie starts talking with her, and it becomes pretty apparent she has nothing. They have nothing, and she has a daughter who's a freshman at university high school. They have nothing. And so she says to Julie, she says, hey, listen, if ever a table and chairs come in, we could use it because my daughter is getting a sore back because she does all of her homework just on the floor. And if we could just have a table and chairs, that would be so great. So anyway, a little later in the week, uh, table and chairs came in, perfect table and chairs. And so they hooked back up. And, uh, and Julie now had sort of taken, was running on this, and she'd collected a bunch of stuff for the ladies. So on Friday, they went to this lady's house with all this stuff. And they went up into her apartment. Her apartment, it's over by UCI, had nothing in it. There were sheets on the floor for them to sleep in. And so they brought all this stuff in, and they brought the tables and chairs, and this woman was overwhelmed, just overwhelmed. And after all of this had happened, here's what she said, because she's not a believer at this point. She said, I can now see that there's a God. See, generosity is not just the idea of helping people out monetarily. God says that when you're generous, it opens up people's hearts to me. And he said that's the greatest blessing that God's people can ever give, is opening up the hearts of people that aren't yet his. So when we are generous, we bless others. And finally, and here's kind of the most amazing point, when we're generous, we actually bless God. Which you might think, how do you bless God? I mean, God has everything. He doesn't need anything from us, and that is true. But here's how the Bible says, blessing God means making God look good. Anytime we make God look good, it says we're blessing God. And anytime we promote his agenda, anytime we push forward his plan, it says that God is blessed by us. It's an amazing thing that we're able to bless God. And in 2 Corinthians 9, 13 through 15, Again, you've got the passage there, and you can look through it. But you'll see that at one point it said, others will praise God as you give them something. In other words, they won't just turn and bless you or just thank you. They'll see through it to God. And in that way, God is blessed when you do this. God is actually blessed. I'll tell you a great story. Uh, I wasn't sure that this was a true story because it's kind of an amazing, it's one of those stories that pastors tell and they're like, you know, God will bless it because I'm speaking in front of people and it's for his sake and it's not true, but I'll just tell people. So I didn't want to tell the story if it wasn't true, so I researched it and this is a true story. In, 19, in 1882, rather, in Philadelphia, there was a pastor of a church named Russell Conwell and he was the pastor of a church called Grace Baptist Church. And uh, he had a huge heart for the poor and a huge heart for the working class, and he was an educator. So during, of course, the weekends, he would run his church. On the weekdays, he would have people come in and he would tutor them, and he would tutor them to help them uh, get jobs and so forth in Philadelphia, in the inner city of Philadelphia. Um, his church was so popular that on the weekends, uh, it was standing room only, and in fact, they turned people away. There'd be people lined up outside the doors trying to get into this guy's church. Um, and so what, you, what ended up happening is he couldn't have uh, his tutoring program in the church itself, so he did it underneath. They had a little temple, a basement, a temple in a basement under the, the temple, 
And he would do it in the basement, the tutoring he would do in the basement. So on the weekends, there was all kinds of people, and then these poor people would come in to get trained during the week. Well, there was a little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt who lived close to the church, and she showed up one day for church, and she was standing outside because there was no room in the church. And there were a bunch of kids that wanted to get into the the, uh, children's Sunday school class, and they couldn't. And so she was standing there, and she was about to walk away when the pastor came up, and he saw her there, and he said, what's the problem? And she said, I wanted to go to church, but there's no room. And he said, there is room. He picked her up, put her actually on his shoulders, and walked in to his church. And he sat her down, and he said, you can sit right here. The next day, he happened to see uh, Hattie as she was going to school. And he said, Hattie, I want you to know that we are going to build a bigger room just as soon as we can because we don't want any kids not to be able to come to church who want to. And she said, well, that would be great if you do that. And he goes, as soon as we get some money, that's what we're going to do. And he walked away and he thought to himself, wishful thinking, I wish we could do it. There is no way we could raise enough money to build something else. And so um, a little while after that, uh, Hattie got real sick and the pastor came and prayed with her and then she died. And after she died, her mother came to the pastor and said, Hattie wanted you to have something. She pulled out a little coin purse, and in the uh, coin purse, there were 57 pennies and a note that said, this is so the children will have a place to go to church. And he was moved, and he stood up in front of his church, and he said, we are going to build a bigger building, and we have gotten our first donation. It is 57 cents. And he explained who it came from. Well, the church immediately was stirred by this. And in fact, the pastor had a brainstorm idea. He said, if you want to donate, uh, why don't, I will give you a penny and you give back whatever you want. So he, he disseminated the 57 pennies and back came $250. And you think that's a low amount? And it is in our day's standard. Back then, it bought a new building. So they had a new building. And everybody returned the pennies. And so he put the pennies in a plaque up on the wall. And people would see the plaque, and they would say, we want to do something. We want to participate. And in fact, they, they saw some land that was worth $30,000, which was a fortune in that day. And the landowner said, I will sell it to you. And the landowner came into the church, and he saw this display of the 57 pennies. And uh, there was no way the church could raise that much money. And so he looked at it, and he said, I'll tell you what. I will knock down the price and take the 57 pennies as your down payment. And so they took that in, and the money was raised. And not only did it become the largest church in Philadelphia, but it became a university, and that's how Temple University started. And it started from a little girl who just said, I can be generous. God's given to me, and I can give. And God has said that when we are generous, there is blessing. There's blessing for us, There's blessing for others, and even God is blessed. So here's the question. And it's given in 2 Corinthians 9-7. It simply says this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the thing to me that is so amazing is God could demand from us to be generous. But he doesn't. He ends by saying, it's your decision. It's up to you. And in fact, 
If you can't give cheerfully, if you can't give because you want to, if you can't give in response to what God's given to you so that you're delighted to be able to give to someone else, he says, then I don't want it. Because when you give cheerfully, you emulate me. This is God speaking. Because I give cheerfully. I don't give reluctantly. I never give under compulsion. I give because I want to. And God says, that's what I want you to do. That's what Paul records here. God loves a cheerful giver. So here's what I want to do. I want to end our time by giving you actually a chance to respond. And don't worry, we're not taking up an offering. Um, You have a card, though, in your program. And it's just a blank card, and it looks like this. And here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to write uh, on, on one side of the card, what is something that you're worrying about right now? What is something that's keeping you up, something that's scattering your mind, something that's on your mind? What is something that you're worried about? Okay, because we're going to pray about that. Yeah, you guys can come up. And then on the other side, I want you to write down this week, this week, okay? So this is a, in the next seven days exercise. This isn't an intention for your whole life to turn around in this way. It really is just this week. So make it something you can do this week. Where will I be generous this week? Where, who do I need to be generous to? What do I need to give? Now, where can I make a difference? Uh, I want you to try and ask God right now, as we're because we're going to worship here in a second, just during this time, where's some place I can be generous? Where is some place that I can practice this flow? Because in the end, it doesn't do any good for us just to sit here and say, that is a great thought. Because this is a practice. This is what we do. So let me pray for us, and then um, Ethan's going to lead us into worship. You can jot down the notes. The notes are for you. You You're not going to turn them in or anything like that. The notes are for you. But let's really make a change in our life due to what we've heard. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the blessings you've given us. And it's true, by any standard, uh, those of us sitting in this room are among the most blessed people who have ever lived. Uh, You have given so much to us over and over and over again. And it's not just monetarily. You've given us relationships and you've given us hope for the future and a peace. Uh, You give us joy in our life. And there's no question that every good gift comes from you. And now, Lord, help us in the areas that we worry and help us to turn that back over to you. Help us to recognize that you give us peace that transcends understanding. If only we'll turn it back to you. So I pray for the worries that we have in this room. And Lord, I also pray that you would help us to be generous. Help us not only to do it, but to delight in it, to be cheerful, to love the fact that we have something to give that will really help somebody else. And Jesus, only because you've told us, we delight in the fact that this makes you smile, that you love it when we're a cheerful cheerful giver. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church in Huntington Beach. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.